Hello and welcome to the On-Premise IT Roundtable, brought to you by Gestalt IT. My name is Tom Hollingsworth and I'm a network analyst. And each episode of the On-Premise IT Roundtable, we bring the opinions and perspective of luminaries from the IT industry to talk about a variety of topics that are important to you. I'd like to take a moment to have our guests introduce themselves before we get to the premise for today's episode. I'm Manola Sa. You may know me as May. Uh, my Twitter handle is at May149. And my blog is MissMaysWiFi.com. And Jennifer Manella or JJ at JJX on Twitter and Security Uncorked blog. I'm Jonathan Davis or JD uh, at Subnetwork on Twitter at, and Subnetwork.me is my blog. All right. Thank you very much for joining us today. I appreciate it. Let's get to the premise of this episode. You probably work with somebody you don't really care for. Either they have a bad attitude or they think they're a prima donna, or they just don't like people. And we seem to see a lot of those folks in IT. And I don't know why that is, but it seems like toxic people are completely unavoidable in IT. That's the premise for today's episode. And I actually want to start with JD because we had this conversation a little bit earlier. What is a toxic person? Well, I think you bring up a great point. And that is, there in IT especially, it seems that we have a whole lot of people who... Uh, are really rough around the edges emotionally, right? And that's probably why they're in IT. They have an easier time relating to uh, people in the constraints of, you know, of, of technical terms and uh, and communicating over email and, th and things along those lines. They may not have the personal skills um, that we would hope that they would have if they're interacting with people on a on a day to day basis, you know, face to face. So, so there's that aspect, and then there's the also kind of that ability to judge one and judge and control one's um, intent and how that's conveyed, you know, in in a group of people, right? So there's the rough around the edges, and then there's the people who are in, intentionally intentionally contentious, you know, all of the time, right? Yeah. There, there's really kind of two ways of two 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 heads to that coin. You'll have people who accidentally step on toes regularly. And then you'll have people who are very intentional about it. So I, I feel like there's there's almost two categories of that um, of that toxic person in IT. But the outcome is generally the same. We don't want to work with these people, and we don't want to talk to them any more than we absolutely have to. And in some cases, it, it works to their benefit. Leave me alone and let me get my job done. And I don't care if I'm, a, I'm an abrasive person because I get results. And that's one of the things that we see a lot of is that a lot of the most toxic people that we deal with on a regular basis also happen to be the best engineers and the best architects we've ever dealt with. Because IT has a way of selecting out weakness. If you can't hack it from a technical perspective, you can do something else. So by the time you get to a senior lead role, you've had to basically endure the crucible for months or years, mostly in years, to get where you are. And that kind of reinforcement of the behaviors that you use to cope or to do your job amplifies those characteristics. And I think ultimately that's one of the reasons why we see so much of this in IT is because we need to get the job done. doesn't matter what it takes. Get it done. And so those people develop that mechanism because they don't have to interact with management or answer to business leaders in a lot of cases. That's management's role. My job is to accomplish the tasks that you give me. And if that means that I have to fight with the storage team, well, they're all a bunch of idiots. If that means that I have to fight with the networking team or the security team because they won't give me the resources that I, I need, 
well, you're all a bunch of morons because you won't help me out here. And JJ, you kind of cross a lot of lines here because you work in wireless and security and a lot of other places, but you're also a part of some industry organizations that have a lot of viewpoints into this as well. So how do you look at this problem of toxic people in IT? Well, you, you guys, I'm going to shift the language of that just a little bit for, for my own purposes because you guys are talking about toxic people. And I think there's definitely, we could probably all agree that, that sometimes there's, there's people who have habits that mm -hmm. are not always po positive or healthy. Um, but at the end of the day, I don't see it as toxic people. I see you talked about intent. You talked about interactions. What's implied there that, that we're not saying yet is um, it's the interaction and a relationship between that person and somebody else that's toxic. It's that, it's that engagement that's toxic, not necessarily the person. So let's expound on that a little bit because it is true that um, as I was uh, talking to somebody about this earlier this year, that all relationships are combative by nature. No matter what you do, you're wanting something from somebody else. And how you accomplish that basically is compromise. We both don't get what we want completely. But you're saying that the relationship itself, the interaction, is the part that becomes toxic. Why is that? Why does it become toxic, or why do I feel it's the interaction, not the person? Why do you feel it's the interaction, not the person? Um, because it's the interaction, not the person. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a tautology. It is the thing that I said it was. Um, no, but if you, if you start to peel the onion back, there's, there's something that has happened. Um, and maybe it wasn't, you know, if you and I are having a moment, maybe it's not that you did that to me. But maybe I had a moment with somebody else or something else happened before, right? Mm -hmm. But it's still interpersonal. And so I think if we start to pull the onion apart a little bit, what we see is um, that it escalates. And sometimes it's a subconscious escalation. Like we're not intentionally escalating with each other. Sometimes it's intentional. Watch Twitter for a few hours and you see it go. But <laughs> That's true. But a lot of times it's completely unintentional. And this person's doing something that just grates on this person or just how their mannerism or how language that they're using and and this person's just assuming that that person's doing it intentionally and it's not intentional at all and, and so there's a communication aspect there's a trust aspect um, and so a lot of my work is sitting between the groups that you're talking about and facilitating that type of trust and communication so I, I, I love the perspective that you're coming with but I want to bring up something that is actually a, a problem that we see a lot in the industry we don't tag relationships or interactions with specific terms but we've all heard of rock stars, heroes, um, you know, various characters from Rick and Morty. Or as I found out the other day, evidently the term 10x engineer is pejorative for some of us and a hero worship culture for others. If we, why do we associate the terminology with people if it's the relationship that's contentious? Well, how do you have a rock star or a hero without the person that's worshiping or giving that praise. That's true. And in the Phoenix Project with Gene Kim, I mean, I think everyone who read that book 50 pages in went, oh my God, I'm Brent. Because <laughs> we, we recognize so many of those personality traits. Now, obviously, when Gene wrote the book, he, was, I, I, he had an idealized version of that person because he needed to draw that out as a fictional character. But I know that I'm that kind of person when I get into a job. Shut up and let me do my job, and I'm going to deal with this. And so sometimes my interactions are positive. I try to keep them positive, but sometimes my job is to put my headphones on and don't talk to me until Sunday. Well, there's, an, I mean, there's, an, so to finish the other part of that yep. thought is there's an inward facing part, and that's where I think a lot of the mindfulness comes from for, from the things that we, we teach and talk about. Now, May, you haven't had a chance to jump in here, but I want to give you a chance to air your thoughts. 
Um, well, just a question, and, and that's gonna, I guess that's gonna lead you on the mindfulness aspect of, of relationships and, and, and personal uh, culture. Um, I was once told that what bothers you about someone else is often something that you need to address personally. So maybe what you see in the other that bothers you is really something that you have to work on. A bit of projection, perhaps? A bit of projection and a need for introspection. So that's where the mindfulness comes in. So I would say that that's true. But we think of this as a series of interactions with other people, as you pointed out. So let's ex examine that. So there are some people that we know can be a little irascible. You don't want to go talk to Bob uh, the Sunday after his team loses or the Monday morning after his team loses, because he's going to be a little irascible. But there are some people whose interactions, by and large, are almost always negative. How does that happen? Is it, is it their perspective on things? Is it the fact that they really don't like their job and they really wish they could do something else? Or is there something deeper that we're looking at? And I know we're, we're bordering on psychology here, which is probably not what we were thinking we were going to get into when we started talking on this tech podcast. But these are the things that make our lives miserable when we're at work. Yeah, with that, with that point, I would actually challenge and push back a little bit because I, I, I've worked with people who I would consider to be toxic. And, and I recognize that the, I absolutely understand what you're saying as far as there are toxic relationships. But when you have an individual who all of their relationships or 90% of their relationships would be considered toxic, um, at some point you do have to recognize that it is that person. Um, you know, in a previous job, I worked with a guy who knew everything about every system in, in, in the organization. He really did. He was very smart. Um, if you needed someone to come through in a crunch, he would. But if you had to deal with him just on a day-to-day -day basis, it was almost painful. Um, and, and, I, and it took me, I mean, I worked there for four years. It took me a while to get to that point where I could see both the toxicity, both the the um, the painful interactions and also the person who, who, yeah, the value that he brought because the painful interactions had a tendency to cover all of that up. So, so how, how do you see that? And tell, tell me where I'm wrong, I guess. I don't, well, it's not that you're wrong. I just, I, I, I think it's, again, it's my choice to, to kind of approach it from the other side a lot of ways because if you look at somebody that's difficult to deal with, um, let's just make up a, a name. Um, I hate to say Joe because I work with the Joe and he's awesome. So uh, Jim, let's just say there's Jim. Jim. Jim's that guy, right? Mm -hmm. And I need to go get something from Jim. So I go down to Jim's cube and I talk to Jim and I just know going into it that he's going to be hard and, and maybe an asshole. And I'm already clenched up ready for that. So I'm already creating, I'm already creating a little bit of a bubble of something going on when I approach him. Then... I have a bad experience with him. It's gonna, it went just the way that I knew it was going to go. And I walk back, and I'm like, dang, and I come, and I'm like, oh, man, I just had to go deal with Jim, and this happened, and that happened. Of course he did this, and he always does that. And we just missed an opportunity. Because what I could have done is, when Jim started with me, is I could have said, Jim, you're obviously upset right now, and you don't want to deal with this. And, I, and, and let me talk to you about this. Like, let's work through this together to figure out how to make this less painful for you because when it's painful for you, you're making it painful for me. And we don't stop and do that a lot of times. So let me, let me jump in here real quick because we want to we tie this back to the premise, and I think I see where the, the thread's going to be. 
it becomes inevitable in IT because we do that, because we have the self-fulfilling prophecy of, I have to go deal with that person that I don't like. And we put on our armor and we stalk down to the cube and we just stand there. We're like, I need to ask you a favor. And you're ready for the assault that's going to happen of the, you know, the, the screaming and the yelling and the you're a moron because you didn't know how to fix this. Is it because we set ourselves up to fail when we have to deal with people that we don't necessarily like that it becomes inevitable? May? I'm sorry, I'm going to bring up Brene Brown here and say that it's only with courage and vulnerability that you have genuine inter- interactions. And I, I truly believe that she's right on that point. So I would agree, and I've been reading and, a lot of... And, and that's why you put on your armor. You don't want to be vulnerable. You don't want to be uh, hurt or feel something from that interaction that you know is going to be painful. But, but to, to put a point on that, and, and I agree that Brene has some really great points there... I put on my armor when I deal with toxic people because I don't want to be hurt, and I really don't want to feel vulnerable. I can have a conversation with J.D. because we're friends, and I can open up to him about things. But the first time that J.D. turns around and uses that against me or tries to take advantage of me with that, you can better believe that the next conversation that I have with J.D., or anyone for that matter, my walls are going to go up, and the walls are different than boundaries. Because boundaries are like, this is where I want you to stay, and this is where I feel comfortable with you. Walls are stay out. I don't want to deal with you anymore. Does that make me a toxic person now? Because I'm putting up all these barriers so that people don't have to deal with me. Maybe is that the problem? Is that we've been taken advantage of so many times by management, by customers, by users, that we say, you know what, I've had enough. I'm not going to put up with it anymore. I'm a cynical IT person. Go away. But I think there's also the issue of the personas. And I mean, I know like on the security side, we always joke that it's like the grumpy old, you know, curmudgeonly guy Mm -hmm. who's always working all the time and, you know, can never take a vacation. Same thing with tech a lot of the time, right? Right. Um, Can't take a vacation. So we, we create these personas and... You know, sometimes it's a whole industry-wide persona, and sometimes it's just an individual persona where you you get into a pattern and a habit, and that's really hard to break out of. It's really hard when you've gotten to a certain point and just in life as a human to suddenly just shift gears and be like, I don't want to be that person anymore. And and I know people that have gone through this, and that's a lot of the work we do at, at conferences and trying to bring this and talk talk about it and use mindfulness to get out of that when somebody wants to. But, you know, when people get in that, that's the perception of the, the toxic person, right? Mm-hmm. They, and, and they probably don't want to be like that. But they, they have to make a choice that they want to do that inner reflection and get out of that. So, so I absolutely, I, I like that perspective. Um, and I think that that applies strongly, going back to the very first statement of those people who have rough edges, right? It, it, they, they've got character flaws like we all do. What about those that are being intentional, though? Because there are those inten- those people who are intentionally gruff, intentionally difficult to deal with, because that means you will leave them alone. You won't bother them. You they they won't be asked to do things they don't want to do. Um, there are people who use that specifically as a tool, and, uh, and and again, it is an intentional act at that point, not just simply a character flaw. Uh, you know, and I don't, I don't want to lump everybody together, but because I work a lot with people mm-hmm. um, who, who are very closed off and have large walls, and I'm, I'm like that person that everybody tells things to and that doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> um, 
And so having kind of pulled people out of this, if somebody's being like that, and a lot of times the people that are on Twitter um, or any social media and they're just attacking other people, they're not doing it because they want you to leave them alone. They're doing it because there's something going on with them that they feel damaged or hurt um, or scared or something. And that is a defense mechanism for them. Um, and whether it's, you know, something that's ego-based, some of the people that are very intentional about it, you know, we definitely live in an industry where we feel like it's okay to step on somebody and make them feel small to make us feel better and boost our ego for a minute. And sure. I, I'm, I'm a huge unsupporter of that. Like, I think mm-hmm. we have to stop and think and not react. I think we have to be mindful and respond to things and not be that person. But, you know, whether it's intentional or not intentional, a lot of it's coming from a place of hurt for that person. Something has happened, mm-hmm. and they have a challenge. Right? But the one thing that, I mean, before you can start on the mindfulness aspect of things, I mean, you have to, and, and when it's intentional, I, it, it's harder. Because if it's unintentional and you tell the person, they're gonna, or they feel left alone, they're going to realize that there's a problem. And only when you realize that there's a problem will you start to work on that problem. Someone that has this intentional uh, toxic a- attitude, how do, you, how do you get that person out of it? I mean, you know, she's obviously, or he, is obviously not seeing the problem. It's not a problem. It's a tool for him or her. Yeah, I feel like, sorry, I feel like sometimes you, you can't and... Um... You have to wait until they're ready. I mean, there's been, I'm not going to mention any names at all here, but, you know, there's been a couple people in our industry that are coming up that are younger, and some of them are female, and people have come to me, and, and these people are kind of going off the rails a little bit, right? And they've come to me, and they've said, hey, you know, you're this calm person, and can you go mentor, you know, Sally over here? And I'm looking, and I'm like, I, no, no, I, that person's obviously not ready to have the kind of conversation that I would want to try to have. The, the only conversation I know how to have, I'm not a professional. Like, I'm just somebody else in the industry trying to help. And the limited little tools I have, right, this person's not ready for. So I don't know that you can't always pull somebody out of it until they're ready. But you can you cannot go into it expecting combat. Yeah. So we're getting close to the end of the time here. And I want to I come back because, it, to me, Criticism without a solution is really just whining. What's one thing that we that you think that we can do to help the toxic situation? What's one thing you can do to reach out to a person that may be labeled toxic or difficult to help them understand where they are and how to get better? May, I'm going to start with you. Just be honest with them. Look, you're being an ass today. Is there something wrong? Can I do something? And, I mean, yeah. Be honest and try to avoid judging just like you don't want to be judged. I know it's hard and it's, a, it's almost a pious wish, but if you could try for just five minutes to do that in your day, that might change someone's perspective. Fair enough. JJ? I think you have to find a way to build some level of trust. Um, and you mentioned kind of being vulnerable and, and open. So whatever that means between you and the person you want to interact with, to be that person that they can trust and have a com- have that kind of conversation with, I think stems from trust. That's fair. J.D.? 
I can't disagree with that too much. Uh, one of the things I think that helps us as individuals when we're dealing with these people is, is understanding the appropriate boundaries that we can set, right? So if we know that we can set these boundaries on, if this person acts like a complete ass, I can tell them that they're acting like a complete ass, right? Um, I, I have escalation means in other ways. Once we at least have a handle on, these are the, these are the tools at, in, at my disposal. That also gives us the ability to go, I don't always have to use those tools. I don't, always, I don't have to treat everything like, a, like a, a nail if I have more than a hammer in my hand. And I can then go to them and say, look, I realize that something is going on, and it sounds like we need to have a conversation when you're not in the middle of this. I want to have that conversation, but... But I need at this moment, like we have to work on this together or whatever, right? So it's it's handling those, it's it's having those the ability to set the healthy boundaries so that you can then extend grace kind of outside of that. So I think ultimately what it comes down to is from the conversation that we've had today is that there's a lot of elements that go into this. It's not just Bob and IT is a jerk. There's a lot of interaction that goes on, a lot of projection, a lot of other things that that speak to a deeper issue that needs to be sorted out. And we can't fix people. That's not our job. We fix things. We fix systems. We help users. But there's only so much that we can do. And maybe, maybe the solution is, is that we're a little friendlier. We're a little nicer. We, we let our guard down now and then to see if we can change someone's mind, to help them come to a place where they're ready to realize that maybe their attitude and their behavior isn't friendly. Maybe it just takes a little bit of time and effort to help some people out. All right, well, that will just about do it for this episode of the On-Premise IT Roundtable. You can always find the latest episode of this podcast on our website at gestaltit.com slash podcast. You can also subscribe with your favorite podcast application. You can find us in iTunes. Uh, If you do, please leave us a rating or a review. We'd really appreciate it. That helps other people find us and listen to some of the great content that we have here. For my guests, For all of the folks at gestaltit.com and for each of you listening out there, thank you very much. Bid you a fond adieu, and please make sure to keep listening.